I'm excited to be here. You excited to be here today? Let's go. How about you look at a neighbor and say, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, How about you tell the other neighbor your second choice and tell them I'm happy you're here too. Oh, man. Uh, My name is Hector, and uh, me and my wife, Bria, are from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we're just super excited to be here today and just kind of borrow your weather for a little bit. Um, It's a little cold in Colorado, but um, we love it. It's a great time. And um, can I just tell you, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Um, which actually means I've heard a lot of sermons in my time, a lot of sermons in my time. And, uh, and I've been in church for, for a very long time. And there was something that my dad always instilled in me that um, I really care about is giving honor where honor is due. Um, can I tell you that when it comes to pastoring and, and ministry, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a big weight. And, um, and the team here is incredible. This team, this team that we've been able to hang out with all weekend um, is incredible. And Pastor Brad, where's he at? There he is. You are, you are a man that literally practices what he preaches and, and really lives what he believes. And so can I just tell you that is incredible to see. And that's really called authenticity and, and being genuine. And that is incredible. So can we just give it up for Pastor Brad and Karen? Awesome. He's also a beast, I found out. He dives. Um, he used to serve uh, martial arts, like everything that, like, I'm not. It's great. Um, I'm, not, I'm not super athletic. Um, it's not something that I was gifted with. Actually, part of it's uh, my stature. Um, I'm pretty short, all right? We got any short people in the room? Any short people? Let's go. That's awesome. Yeah, no, um, I've been short for a long time. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Um, don't worry about it. But um, yeah, no, I, I didn't really grow up with a lot of athleticism. And I remember one time specifically, actually, um, there was a kid. So I, I used to work with, with teenagers, and uh, we took a group of about 80 teenagers to a camp one time. And uh, yeah, so I got no sleep for like four days. Um, and if you know teenagers or you have teenagers, you kind of know what I'm talking about when I say they're so fun. Um, really, really fun. Um, but they also will tell you anything going on in their mind. Okay, so anything that's going on up in there, they're just going to tell you. They're going to tell you what they really think about you. Um, and so I remember distinctly one time, um, there was a group of boys. So my job was that I would check every room and make, make sure that all the boys were in their rooms for curfew. So I would leave this one room at the very end. And so when I was leaving this room for the end, it's because they had a a nightly tradition. They called it bathroom time. Now, let me explain. Um, These were a bunch of high school boys, and they would all sit in the countertops of these large bathrooms and just talk about deep stuff. They would talk about whatever deep thought was going on in their mind. And so I would just sit there and listen to them and just listen, you know, what are teenagers thinking about these days? Um, And one day, I remember this kid, Jed, um, he was talking to his friends, and he looks at me as I'm just standing there. And I need to remind you, like, this is a freshman boy, okay? Freshman, very young. And he's, he's thinking, yeah, Hector, there's literally no girls to date, man. And I was like, well, you're a freshman in high school. It's okay. But, but he's, uh, he's saying, there's no girls to date. I'm like, dude, there's like 80 students in our group that meet weekly. Half of them are girls. Go talk to one. And go be nice to one, maybe. And, and he was like, I can't. They're all tall. 
And I was like, Jed, don't worry, you're a freshman, you're going to grow. And he was like, Hector, what do you know about growing? <laughs> and I was like, dang, I got to send this one home. Um, no, um, no, I, I started thinking about this comment, and really, like teenagers, they'll just, they'll say anything, they'll tell you about your own insecurities, and I started thinking about me being short, and, and how many times I actually consider myself to be short. And you know what's interesting is, um, contrary to popular belief, I don't just walk around going like, I'm really short, I'm really short. Maybe, maybe, when I'm trying to get the cereal above, like, the refrigerator, I'm, like, jumping a little bit, um, but other than that, yeah, yeah, I don't really think about it. I don't think about being short, it's not really something that comes to my mind, until I'm next to somebody who's tall. When I'm next to somebody who's tall and I can see how tall they are in comparison to me, all of a sudden I qualify myself as being short. And I started thinking about this concept of of comparison because that's really what qualifies where I'm at in my mind, is by seeing where somebody else is and I look at myself and and compared to them, I decide that I'm short. And so when I think about comparison, I actually think, strangely enough, we actually love doing it. I'm not saying we like the outcome of it, but in, in a certain way, we almost love doing it because it's natural for us. If you think about it, how else am I supposed to know what I can have unless I look at what other people have? How else am I supposed to know what to do, how to do things, unless I look at how somebody else is doing it and, and decide what I can do. And usually what ends up happening is I look back at my own life and I end up unsatisfied, disillusioned, or disappointed in whatever I'm doing. I also think, strangely enough, we thrive on it. We do. Because if you think about it, I I think about all the goals that I make in my life, and a lot of them are based on what other people have. And so it creates a drive and strive in me to see what other people have and say, okay, that's what I'm going to try and achieve. And that's how I get ahead. But what if that's not the point to life at all? I mean, think about it. From a very young age, we're taught the principle of hard work. And this is a good thing. Like, it is a good thing. It's how we make financially wise decisions. It's how we get good work ethic. It's how we do a lot in life, but it seems to be the approach we take to everything in life. So what usually happens is this cycle of, I I work really, really hard, and then I love what I get out of working really, really hard, but then, wait, that's what they have? Well, now I just got to work harder because I deserve that, or I want that, and then I work harder, and and then I get what I wanted, and then I look at what they have now, and now I want more you get in this cycle that just keeps turning. And at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, will we ever really be satisfied? I mean, I'd like to submit to you today that maybe this idea of comparison might be killing you. And that might sound like an exaggeration at first, but I actually believe that it's true because I believe that comparison is killing different parts of your life slowly. And I want to give you three ways in which this might be true for your own life. And I want to give you one tried and true method that I believe will help combat it. So first, let's talk about what comparison might be doing to you. Uh, In ancient scripture, we're, we're told this story by Jesus. 
Now, this isn't a true story that he's talking about. Instead, it's an illustration that he's communicating in order to communicate fully a principle. And, and the principle is actually rooted in the main character of this story, and this is the landowner. But I believe that there's some other principles that we can actually pick up from this same story. So let me read this story to you, and we're going to get into it. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went out to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he went in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, which makes sense, right? But it, it says they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner, those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them as much as you've paid us who have worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been, un I, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others so those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last? Now, like I said, the, the main point of this story is actually to highlight the landowner, but there's something interesting in this passage. It seems to show a contrast between the landowner and the workers. This is to say that Jesus is showing us how we humans naturally react to the life he's calling us to and showing us a little bit about us and our humanity. So today, I want to examine the vineyard workers, and I want to relate with them for a little bit because I believe there's some principles here that'll tell us a lot about this idea of comparison. So the first part is this. They were paid from last to first. Now, let me be clear about history in this end. This wasn't something that was usual. This was not natural. Actually, this is very counterintuitive because te technically the people that came in first are waiting to go hang out with their families, be with their families. They've been working all day. They've been there longer. They would naturally get paid first so that they can leave. But instead, the order got reversed. What this did was this allowed those workers to see what the other people got paid. What I find interesting about this story is every worker still got paid what they were promised. It wasn't until they saw what others got paid that they became unhappy. It wasn't until they compared. 
They were happy with their pay until they compared it to what others got. So this leads to this first observation of comparison will kill your joy. Comparison will kill your joy. Things you would naturally be happy with, things that would naturally bring you joy, will slowly get killed by this thing of comparison. It'll it'll continually feed you the lie that it's not enough or that you're not enough. Comparison will have you looking everywhere else for a value you already have. I don't know if you have this, but I have, I have some friends in my life that I'm like, gosh, there is like favor all over them. Like everything goes well for them. You know, like I know, I know everybody has struggles, but this person's got like one and it ticks me off sometimes, you know? And I don't know if you have any friends like that, but I, I think about it, like, yeah, I work double as hard. I work twice as hard and they got the promotion. I work three times as hard to parent my kids, and, and their kids are perfect, and mine are perfect. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it, I, I work so hard to get ready in the morning, and they just wake up looking like that. Like, it's all around us. It's literally all around us. And Instagram's literally the worst. Pastor Brad alluded to it. It's literally the worst. I have so many friends at this point that need to take a break off of social media. Just because it's gotten ridiculous, like everything is good until I see what they're doing. Everything is great until I see what they have. And now they've even got algorithms that show me the life I want to be living. (laughs) I feel like they're after me personally at this point. (laughs) Um, But you know... It's, it's interesting. So I was actually going down my, my old social media posts uh, lately, and I was going down my profile. Like, I went far back, like back to like 2008, which, by the way, don't do this. It's a bad idea. I went all the way back, and I was looking at a bunch of my feeds, and I realized something interesting about social media back in the day. Uh, when, when we had social media back in the day, at its core, it began as a sharing platform. Like, if you looked back, you'll, you'll find posts that have no sense to them. Like, I was looking at some of mine, and literally, for some reason, on my Twitter feed is, eating dinner, period. I said, uh, can't wait to hang out with friends, exclamation point, bored, period. Like, this was it. This was our social media platform back in the day. And I mean, likes and comments, they existed, but we didn't really have a purpose for them. It wasn't until February 9th, 2009, Facebook would introduce the like button. And this absolutely changed the game. This began to shift social media from being a sharing platform to a validation platform. Why? Because we had a way to compare. There's a cognitive neurologist from California State University and said this, said, imagine if every time you go to a bank, you get your balance, but you also see the balance of other people. (laughs) It will cause most people to feel annoyed or dissatisfied with what they have. It kills our security. It's egging on at our security. You know what will develop security in our lives? recognition, appreciation, and clear understanding of what we already have. I mean, if we truly knew what, we, what was already present in our own lives, I think we would be able to learn how to celebrate others. I think that there's a world-changing gift inside of you 
already present. And comparison will continually fight your ability to celebrate others. Instead of bringing us together, it divides us and it creates disunity everywhere. It will aim to tell you why you are either better or less than anyone else based on what you know. And this leads to the second thing I see in this story. These workers, they had created an expectation of what they were going to receive. The way they created this expectation was merely through comparison because there was nothing said by the landowner. There was nothing promised that created this expectation that they had when he came around and paid them. Instead, Literally, this expectation was rooted in nothing more than comparison. This led to an obvious disappointment. Comparison creates expectations that result in either pride or disappointment. Now, can we be honest for a sec? Like, we understand why they're mad, right? Like, no, for real, like, we, we understand why they're mad. Like, I, was, I would be mad, you know? I, I, I'm getting paid this much. I worked so much harder than they did, and they're getting paid that much. Like, it, it's not something dumbfounding to us to be upset about something like that. When we see a bunch of people getting more than what we felt they deserve, we usually take two roads. We've got two roads, and there's an option in front of us. And we either choose to celebrate them or compare ourselves to them. This typically results in devaluing what they've done or expecting more for what we did. I'm telling you, comparison will hold us back from even the option of celebrating other people. Uh, we do this thing um, in Christmas, at Christmas where we go with, our, with my wife's family, and, and um, my mother-in-law is literally like the sweetest person on the planet. Um, she is incredible. Uh, we love her, and uh, she's so aware of like, everyone's feelings in the room. Like, she's very aware of everything. She's the person that, like, loves to host, and, and it, she's the sweetest. She's absolutely the sweetest. And every year, she says this phrase that I think is super interesting. When we've got our, our presents all in front of us, which we still do presents in front of us, but we do all the presents in front of us, she looks at all the gifts, and she says something along the lines of, now I know some people got more gifts than others, but I want you to know that we, we spent the same amount on all of you. And I, I look at her, every, like, every year, I'm like, Diane, I'm like 30. I'm fine. Like, I'm just glad I made it on a flight here, you know? And, but every year, without a shadow of a doubt, she does that. And I, I think it's super fun. She did it this last year, and it was great. Um, and me and my wife just look at each other, and we're like, yep, Diane. Um, she's super good heart about it. But what's interesting is she's trying to create an expectation so nobody will get upset. And I think about this because when I was a kid, that's kind of how I thought. Like, I, I didn't ever say this. I've got, I've got one brother, and depending on who got the most gifts or the better gift, I would determine whether my mom and dad actually loved one of us more than the other, you know? And, you know, like, Christmas was just like a good test to see, okay, which one was better this year? Um, this isn't a really healthy way of looking at anything, but this is what we do mentally sometimes. Comparison will lead us to, th to make things about our value or our status. This is a very dangerous place to be. And many years ago, it was recorded in Scripture that God told humanity 
something about this. So when God is speaking directly to humanity, he says this, uh, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, which they had at the time, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. What does this word covet mean? It means to yearn, to possess, or to desire passionately. This command from God would be actually known by the people that are hearing this story from Jesus. So they could see the dangers of of comparing what they had with what other people had. They actually understood this. And, And one of those dangers was that our value is in constant battle with comparison. We fight this by focusing way more on the value that we already have than focusing on the value anything else can bring. You see, when, when we allow value, our personal value, to be fused with comparison, we actually begin to see everything differently. It's no longer about our friend's promotion. It's, why didn't I get that promotion? It's no longer... My friend got that big break. It's why didn't I get that big break? We see the landowner actually address this in the very end of the story. So he says this. He said, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? In another translation, it actually says this. Are you envious because I am generous? Comparison will create envy. And envy when it is allowed to take its root, will distort our perception of situations and ultimately distort our perception of God. I mean, envy will determine whether something is generous or unfair. Envy will lie to us about about our friends, about our family, about God. Envy will make us strive for a value that we already have. So I I told you, like when I was younger, I would kind of compare me and my brother and the gifts that we would get. And this was very natural anytime that there was gift giving involved. But I I had a different experience a few years ago. So I went to India a few years ago and we went to go help out in an orphanage in India. And we were in one of the major cities near Delhi and um, it's, it's where you fly in and it was an amazing experience. We loved hanging out with the, the kids at the orphanage, and I met this one kid named Rohan. Now, me and Rohan hung out the entire time. It was like an instant click. Like, I, thought, I felt like I had a little brother for the first time, and so we, we would hang out the entire time. So we, we went an entire week helping out at the orphanage, and he was just next to me as we were cooking, as we were doing everything. He was just next to me the entire time. And then finally, we get to the end of the week, and all of the people that were in our group wanted to get all the kids' gifts. And so we all wanted to get gifts, so we all like went to different areas and tried to find our gifts. And at the time, I'm in college. I don't really have a lot of money, and so I'm at the marketplace, and I see this necklace, and it's a very cheap necklace, but you know, it's what I could afford at the time. And so I buy this necklace. And then I go back to the orphanage, and then I see what everybody else bought, all the kids. And it was like cricket gear, soccer balls, all this stuff, and I'm like man, I suck. Like, I'm terrible. And so Rohan came up to me and he's like, hey. And I was like, hey, man. And I gave him this necklace. Now, this is a cheap necklace from the marketplace, but when I gave it to him, he teared up. 
And he hugged me and he grabbed me. And he told me that it was actually the first gift he'd ever been given by a friend. And he didn't care what anybody else got. He was just so happy with this necklace that his friend had gotten him. And I don't know about you, but I actually find it really hard to have that kind of attitude lately. To just be grateful. To see something as it is. But I would ask you, between how we typically receive gifts versus how Rohan received a gift, like, what would you prefer? What would you truly prefer? Because honestly, I've personally struggled with this idea of, of comparison. And interestingly enough, instead of leading me towards success, I feel like it's actually helped me back. Because the satisfaction of life, I don't actually believe is found in chasing more. True happiness seems to come from something completely different, and it's called contentment. This is not to be confused with complacency. Contentment is this, a state of happiness and satisfaction. The problem we face is that contentment will continually compete with comparison. But what do we have to gain from this idea of of contentment? Well, in college, I, I actually had some time in counseling. They offered free counseling. And so there was a point afterward where I stopped asking myself, what do I lack? And instead began asking myself, what do I have? You see, in college, it's really, really easy to see all the opportunities everybody's getting because everybody's just launching. Everyone's launching to their next thing. And you you see where everybody came from and what they have and all those things. And it's so easy to feel unsuccessful and unsatisfied with what you have. And so after some time in counseling, I started looking more specifically at what I had to offer. What opportunities have been given to me? What gifts have been given to me? What things can, do I get to bring into this world? Could I suggest that you will never find contentment or success looking at anyone else's life, but you could find great contentment appreciating your own? Could I ask you, what opportunities have you been given? What gifts do you already possess? What, what's in your life currently that you've had to oversee in order to see someone else's life? You see, I believe that God has created you with intrinsic value. He created you with gifts, beauty, and design. So this leads me to to conclude that hyper-focusing on what other people have is merely a lack of recognition of what we've already been given. And there's this ancient act of thanksgiving and gratitude. So you remember when I said there's a tool to help combat this. This is an ancient act that, that has been actually practiced over years. And for a lot of believers in Jesus, this, this was a prayer that they would have. But this is as simple as just writing it down or saying it out loud. Is finding the things in your life that you're grateful for, that you're thankful for that you've been given, and just writing it down and taking moments every day and just writing it down, saying it out loud. If, if you're a believer in Jesus, praying and thanking God for it. On a psychological level, this actually has so many benefits attached to it. And when it comes to everyday life, it actually helps us. We've seen increases in mental health and so many different things because of it. But, 
What if you were thankful for every step in the journey? What if you made markers in your life that celebrated how far you have come or maybe a different way to look at it, how far God has brought us? I believe we would see change in how we responded to everything in life. You see, I I wonder what would happen if an entire community was to adopt this practice and being content with what we were given and being able to celebrate others because it's no longer about uh, comparison, it's about celebration. And we were keeping record of, of how far God has brought all of us. I believe that that community would be known for it. I believe that's the kind of community that people would bring and say, those people are going to celebrate you. Those people are going to see the value inside of you. Those people are going to call out the value inside of you. And they're going to bring it out of you. I believe it'd be a culture of celebration. Like, how cool would that be, really? To just be known as a place where you just celebrate everyone. It's awesome. And why? Why? Because we know how to celebrate. This is done by being able to celebrate what God has done inside of us, inside of you, inside of me. So could I challenge you with that this week? Maybe taking five minutes, maybe taking ten minutes and just writing down, God, what am I thankful for in my life? God, what have you already been given? I believe that in that time you would find tools to change the world around you. I believe that in that time You could find great value that God has given you, and I believe that it would change everything in the world around you. So can I submit that to you today? It's just that idea of celebrating the wins in your life, celebrating where God has brought you. Can you pray with me? God, thank you for the value that you've already put inside of us, for all the gifts that you've put inside of us, and Lord, I ask for every person in this room that your Holy Spirit would be able to reveal things in our lives that are so amazing, so incredible because you've given them to us. Gifts and talents and everything that we have to give. Lord, I ask that you just reveal that this week, that we'd be able to celebrate it and be thankful and grateful for it. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.